Dear friends in Christ, if you heard me preach a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember that I was talking about the power and authority of Jesus Christ and what that gives to us as his brothers and sisters in the family of God. Well, today we're going to look a couple of chapters later now in that letter to the Ephesians and look at the blessings that we receive that comes from that same power, that power that is from our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Jules Verne, who was an author in the 19th century, you know, he was known for his science fiction writings and his ability to envision things that are beyond imagination. You know, in a world before the Wright brothers had flown their first flight of just 12 seconds and traveling only 40 yards, it was Verne who was writing about space trips and even going to the moon. At a time also during his day when boats were going from sail to steam, it was Verne who was writing about a submarine that was being powered by a strange type of power. Maybe he was even predicting what was going to eventually become nuclear power. And nuclear power didn't exist until the 1930s. And it was in 1942 when Enrico Fermi, that he led a group and they were able to achieve the first nuclear train reaction. And that was right in our own backyard in the Fermi labs. Well, as we know, the people of Jules Verne's time, they really didn't believe any of his writings that this kind of stuff could happen because it was beyond their imagination. Well, St. Paul, he's a, a Christian theological version of Jules Verne as he writes his letter to the Ephesians. And he writes of things here that are beyond our imagination. He's not like John, the writer of Revelation, who speaks about things like seven-headed dragons, spiritual warfare, and global destruction. Paul here writes about the cause for us to be able to stand strong when our faith is under fire. Or when he writes about how prayer can change the world. And most importantly, he talks about God's creative love for us. And what Paul envisions in this letter to the Ephesians it's not your everyday religion. So what is Paul saying to us here in chapter 3? Well, as Americans, we know that American people, our society, it's made up of people who want to be rejuvenated. And together as a country, we pay billions of dollars for weight control programs, Botox injections, personal trainers and fitness machines and even trying to have the latest styles and fashions. We're into looks, outward looks. And along with doing things for our looks, many people spend countless hours at the fitness center and attempting to build up physical strength. Now, we may not want to have the bulking up part, but we do want to have some strength and definition. And even if we're not into weights, we want to be physically strong enough physically fit enough to be able to go through our daily routines without any hindrance or limitations. We may forget, though, that we need not only to be physically strong, but also spiritually strong. 
in order to have a vibrant, abundant life. So how are we able to be spiritually strong? Well, for most of us, we're strengthened and sustained by our fellow believers, by the witness of the company of believers when we gather together here for worship like we are today. Beyond that, we're strengthened by the witness of those who we remember from the past. And people that we celebrated, perhaps it was pastors, teachers, other people in God's work, anyone, but it was all based because of their Christian faith. One of the reasons that we gather together to be able to be on a regular basis is to strengthen each other's faith. We talk about how God has been with us and how he gets us through the circumstances that we face in life. We laugh together. We cry with one another. We sing as a community our hallelujahs to our God. We pray for each other. And we serve in love and faith and hope for each other. We know that we are strong when we are together than when we would be apart and alone. People who have gone before us also served as a witness. They strengthen our faith in various ways. Think of a man named John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. Or Martin Luther, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And our last hymn of the day, the doxology, Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow, a real short hymn, but a powerful one, written by Thomas Ken. And that's been sung for even 450 years now. The transformation that takes place in the life of a Christian, it really goes beyond surface types of changes and our looks. Because we know that Christians are changed inwardly. And that can only be done by the power of God himself. In a few months, my wife, Kathy, and I, were going to go to Florida to attend a family wedding. And that wedding is going to take place under a 200-year-old oak tree. And uh, that's a tree that has withstood the tropical storms, the tornadoes, and even the hurricanes that have come by in that area. Over the past two centuries, that tree has remained strong. Well, the first thing that Paul prays about, and he imagines for his Christian friends in Ephesus in chapter 3, is that they will have the inner strength of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is likely relating to the inner strength of perhaps an oak tree or anything like that that would be able to withstand wind and nature. If he, Paul was here today, he might look at the tall skyscrapers that are able to withstand even earthquakes. Through the Holy Spirit, Christians have a core strength. It's a core strength that enables us to withstand and to overcome all the opposing forces that we face. And why? It's because Paul says we're rooted, we're established in that love of Christ. Paul pictures Christ in the heart of the believer. God is not out there just in the fringes of the universe. He's everywhere. But most importantly, God has pitched his tent. He's made his dwelling in the hearts and lives of every Christian. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 3, do you not know that you are God's temple? Some versions say your body is the temple of God. 
and that God's Spirit dwells in you. God is present in the center of the individual who has faith in him, the one who follows his will. God's present. He's everywhere guiding and instructing and even comforting us. Jesus is in our midst. The Holy Spirit touches our lives, and he's challenging us, and he even is able to mold us into the image of God. And as a result, lives are transformed. Jesus' words speak to us through the Bible. We're fed by him at his table. God's not just way out there. There's no question about whether or not God exists. We know that Jesus lives because he is in us and we are in him. Paul understands that the Christian life is deeply rooted in love. And that picture of that tree whose roots go deep into the good soil of God's love, well, as a result, it provides strength and security. And in turn, we have the energy and ability to love, to be able to go out and produce the fruit of the Spirit. When we look at Paul's writings here, you know, he at times has trouble fully comprehending God's love for him in Christ. Remember, Paul, he's the one who identified himself as the chief of sinners and one who was untimely born. He couldn't understand why God would love him and so dramatically invite Paul into that family of God as Jesus encounters him when you know, he was living a life as Saul, one who would put Christians into prison and even have them put to death because they were following the way, the way being Jesus. Each and every one of us, we have also experienced that unimaginable love of God in our lives. How do we know that? Well, we know that God loved us even when we were enemies of him. God loves us when we, like Peter, deny Jesus. Or perhaps even like Judas, we betray him in what we say and do. God loves us even and before we ask. He accepts us. He accepts us who we are and where we're at. Now those two last two things, those aren't even qualifications for God's love, but he does it. One way that you can describe God's love, it's compassion. It's such an important word in the scripture, especially when we look at its Latin origin, that word passio meaning suffering and com meaning with. And when you put those two together, you get with suffering in the English, or here, laid out, suffering with. Well, Jesus shows compassion toward the people around him. And that means he was suffering with them. In Mark chapter 6, we know that Jesus and his disciples, you know, he had sent them out and they traveled the countryside. They were casting out demons. They were curing the sick. And they were working so hard that they couldn't even find time, perhaps even to grab a bite to eat. And in Mark 6, we see Jesus taking care of that with the feeding of the 5,000. And you remember in that gospel reading, it was talking about they didn't understand about the loaves. Well, that was pointing back to that feeding and, and what Jesus was able to do in a miraculous way. Well, in today's gospel reading that we just had, 
Jesus commands the disciples to go across the Sea of Galilee, and maybe they can get some rest and relaxation. But their, pan- their plans are quickly derailed because the desperately needy people in the region there, they see when Jesus' boat hits the ground. They see him, and they bring their sick loved ones to him. And Mark writes, And wh- wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Although Jesus is weary, he's not annoyed that you know, he's not getting his much-deserved time off as well, that is being interrupted. And he isn't irritated that the people aren't helping themselves. He's not even frustrated that the need all around him is so enormous. No, Jesus has compassion with them. He suffers with them. Switching languages, we can even go deeper. The Gospel of Mark was written in the Greek first, and the Greek word for compassion is more graphic than the Latin word. It means to be moved by something so strongly that you feel it deep in your stomach, deep in your bowels, deep in your guts. Jesus has sympathy for the distress of the people around him, combined with a strong urge to alleviate that. He feels compassion, not just in his heart, but in his inner being, in his guts. And Paul explains his own desire for his fellow Christians too. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all of the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God's love, it fills us with the fullness of life. And he enables us to experience the abundant life in a way that is beyond our imagination. Paul sees in his mind, too, that there's going to be surprises in store for the readers at Ephesus and for all Christians who read this letter. God's abundance is beyond imagination. He pours out his blessings that are overflowing in all of our lives. You know, if you ever believe the idea that you could keep God's blessings, you know, just within you, you're going to find out that you can't because those blessings are too fast. They're too strong. That truth, that enables us to give freely of ourselves for Christ. And we can trust that we're never going to run out of God's blessings. God is the one who will move powerfully in our lives. And he'll move in a greater manner and more powerfully than we can ever imagine. Like those words that Josh Groban would sing, you lift me up to be more than I can be. That's what God does. He'll move in our lives and in the world in ways that we can't possibly comprehend at this point in our lives. Think about yourself. In what ways is God moving you in your life? Is it deeper prayer? Is it greater love? Is it perhaps a new way to serve him at this point in your life? God will do more than you can think 
or imagine that God will do. God will move in us here at Trinity as well. He certainly has in the past decades. In 2005, when we really had the small groups that exploded and became so much a part of our ministry, we found ways in which we were able to keep together each other's actions and life that's going on, to be in touch with each other in such a larger congregation. Not only like sending backpacks up to the children up in Alaska, but we know that we've been able to send backpacks to children to be in the local schools here who can't afford their own backpacks so that they can be like the other children. Through all God's people, we serve the homeless in Chicago, downtown, providing food and some other things for them as well. And even reaching out to third world countries, not traveling out there, but in the gymnasium with Feed My Starving Children, providing meals for so many children. Many of us can really imagine great things for our congregation and school here. God will surprise us with what God will do. Now, we think that we're, we're pushing the envelope on what God will do in and through us, but I can tell you we're not even putting a dent into the surface, scratching any dent at all. If we're impressed with what God is doing now, just think how much more excited we will be when we see how God works here and among us and through us in the future. At those times when we really experience God's power at work in our lives. God will transform the world really beyond our greatest dreams and hopes. And knowing that, that gives each of us strength and faith and hope, knowing that whatever comes our way, we can even wait with anticipation. And as a result of having determination and patience and hope and expectation, we can confidently pray, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. To know the love of Christ that surpasses all of our knowledge means that we're fitted to be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God, Paul says. That's not to say that there aren't other things that are not relevant in the Christian life, but on the contrary, to know all we can about our world, that enables us to live fully, to live well, To know the love of Christ, that's not something we can find here in this world. Rather, it's been revealed to us by our God. He's the one who sent his son into this world. And we celebrate that love whenever we gather for worship. It's in this love that we have experienced that we share in word and action as we reach out to others, to the people around us. It's that love that we proclaim. We do it And we say that we can overcome things like hate and prejudice and judgmental attitudes, words, and actions of others. As we're empowered by the Spirit, we can proclaim that God so loved the world that Jesus came and took that judgment for us so that no other judgment would be needed. Paul here at the end of his prayer for his people He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us. 
It's the Lord who gives us dreams and visions. He's the one who answers them even beyond our thoughts. God is moving powerfully through us. He's giving us that opportunity to be in connection with the Holy Spirit as we live our lives, being able to share that grace and love of God that is what we've experienced in our own lives. The Christian faith that Paul imagines is one that's based on God's love and power. It's simple. And it is the result for us of faith and hope in him. It's a life that's blessed by God and the excitement that we're being used by God in unimaginable ways. And we do that to accomplish his will that is even beyond our dreams. In his name, amen. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us, for blessing us with mercy and grace and peace and joy, and also with power and strength and the blessings that you give to us so freely. Lord, may we ever be grateful for them. And as I mentioned before, Lord, I pray that we won't keep them within ourselves, but to share them with the world so that so many others may be able to say the same things and experience them as we do even now. So bless us, Lord. Keep us safe, and may your family grow beyond our imagination. In your name, amen.